a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In just a moment, we're going to discuss a vote cast on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives just yesterday regarding Confederate statues within that same building, the U.S. Capitol. But I, I have to admit, I got distracted a moment ago by a piece of news just delivered by Maria Chaleos in that newscast, uh, and it has to do with the crowd noise. What do you think about that? The crowd noise. What will happen is, as you heard well described by Maria there, is during the baseball games that are starting off today, there will be obviously no fans in the stands. Fans in the stands. Uh, There will be no fans in the stands, and yet you will still, uh, as we view from home, we will hear crowd noise. There are about 72 little audio clips which have been isolated from past seasons, and they will be uh, paired up with different uh, different you know plays that are made uh, on the field. And as those plays happen, you'll hear crowd noise in the background, and it'll be an odd experience. Uh, you know, if you if you do uh, take note, you'll see empty stands, and yet you'll still see, hear uh, the crowd. I, what is that like? It, it reminds me. It reminds me of the laugh tracks that were later added to uh, sitcoms like Seinfeld and Friends and, and such like that. And if you've ever uh, spent time late at night going down the YouTube rabbit hole when they show episodes of those uh, mid-'90s sitcoms, uh, when they remove the laugh tracks, it is, it's an odd experience, a very odd experience. In fact, I experienced it a little bit yesterday. I was watching some highlights from some of the scrimmages to come from Orlando, Florida in the NBA bubble, and to see those games and to see the back and forth and the different plays and the, the big shots and the slam dunks and not to hear a roar from the crowd in the background, it was an odd experience. So I'm anxious to see, uh, both in baseball and uh, once the NBA kicks off about a week from now, I'm anxious to see how these uh, digitally introduced crowd sounds uh, actually work out and how they impact our experience. If you have any preliminary thoughts, if you maybe watched some of those scrimmages with me last night or if you have any thoughts uh, about the upcoming baseball games and the pumped-in crowd music, crowd sounds, uh, 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, I'd be anxious to hear from you on that front. Also, also, I would be so curious to know what you feel about this vote, which took place yesterday in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. Now, this is historic for a number of reasons. Historic because as you well know, across the country, there are movements and sometimes actions of vandalism where statues have been pulled down, memorials have been spray-painted and paint poured on them and destroyed in other fashions. And much of it roots back to uh, the, the Confederate associations of these statues and, more importantly, uh, the individuals depicted in these statues and monuments and memorials. Uh, yesterday, members of the House, on the full, before the full floor, had the, the first opportunity to really put their name in one of the two camps. Do we remove these types of statues, or do we let them lie? And we understand that history can uh, be something made up of warts and blemishes and stains 
and that the full story of our history will never be absent those realities. Yesterday, Speaker Pelosi, from the floor, uh, she discussed the importance of the statues as symbols. As I have said before, the halls of Congress are the very heart of our democracy. The statues in the Capitol should embody our highest ideals as Americans, expressing who we are and what we aspire to as a nation. Monuments to men who advocated barbarism and racism are a grotesque affront to those ideals. Their statues pay homage to hate, not heritage. I have in front of me the piece of legislation which was voted upon just yesterday. And you've seen this before. They, they start, you see the big word, a bill. And then there's a number, this one being HR 7573. And then there is a, a description of the bill. I'd like to read that to you. It uh, reads, to direct the architect of the Capitol to replace the bust of Roger Brooke Taney in the old Supreme Court chamber in the United States Capitol with a bust of Thurgood Marshall to be obtained by the Joint Committee on the Library and to remove certain statues from areas of the United States Capitol which are accessible to the public, to remove all statues of individuals who voluntarily served the Confederate States of America from display in the United States Capitol and for other purposes. So that is the the, the very technical and brief explanation of what this piece of legislation does. Now, you heard referenced there uh, a name, uh, Roger Brooke Taney. Uh, He was a member of the Supreme Court who authored, in the 1800s, he authored the, uh, the, the decision, the Dred Scott decision, which has been looked at by many, including myself, as uh, probably one of the most erroneous and egregious and plain wrong decisions to have been handed down by the Supreme Court. Now, you may have other issues w- which fire you up, and you may feel that there are other decisions uh, to come from the Supreme Court which are wrong and ought to be overturned. And I agree with you. There are some others. Uh, but this one, this one by all accounts, this one really breaks through any type of, uh, any type of political ideologies. Uh, this one was just plain wrong. And right now, in the old Supreme Court chamber in the U.S. Capitol, there is a bust of the author of that terrible decision. And in addition to the 11 or so other statues called uh, on for removal here in this legislation, it also calls for the bust of that Supreme Court justice to be removed and replaced uh, by Thurgood Marshall. So uh, we'll see if, uh, if, that, if, if that happens. We'll see uh, once the Senate weighs in if this is something that actually happens. But uh, before we go to break, let me inform you here on how Utah's representatives uh, voted. Interestingly enough, uh, as you know, Utah's House delegation is made up of three Republicans and one Democrat. And so often, as is the case, uh, the votes which are cast on the floor of the House are divided along party lines. Many are not. Many go through unanimously, and there is much more uh, bipartisanship than I think headlines in the news might have you believe. Uh, but, But often, very often, there is a political divide in the votes that are cast. I predicted, I predicted that this would follow suit. And if I'm honest, I'm pleased that I was wrong. I'm pleased to learn that there were 72 uh, Republicans that, in fact, did not vote uh, with you know, the, the, the rest of the party. There were 72 uh, who voted for the removal of these statues. 
Now, what, what pleases me here is, uh, you know, not necessarily the, the bill itself, uh, but rather that there were those who were uh, able and willing to step out and, and vote uh, their own good conscience. And so that was uh, Chris Stewart, Republican Chris Stewart, voted along with Ben McAdams uh, uh, for this measure, uh, and Rob Bishop and John Curtis voted against. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to speak to the absolute expert on the Dred Scott case and the decision handed down by Taney. Mark Sherliff is my guest next on Live Mike. Welcome back. We are this afternoon continuing to pay attention to a historic vote which took place on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives uh, just yesterday. There was a, a measure which was introduced and voted upon by all in attendance there, uh, and it passed. And this measure directs the architect of the Capitol. That, that's a, a position uh, held by someone who is in charge of the, the physical uh, facility of the United States Capitol. And so this measure would direct that individual and their office to replace a bust a bust which now resides in the old Supreme Court chamber, uh, a bust of Roger uh, Brooke Taney. Now, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and if you have ever, through your congressman's office, arranged a tour of the Capitol, you have been in this very room before. Uh, in, in a past life of my own, I used to work in this building, and I would uh, often go visit the, the old Supreme Court chambers. It's a fascinating place uh, and holds a, a remarkable distinction in uh, our American history. So much came from that room and then ultimately uh, has come from the Supreme Court, which now uh, resides in its own building across the street from the U.S. Capitol. Well, in 1857, there was a decision handed down. It was the Dred Scott decision, March 6th. 1857. The decision uh, was written by Chief Justice Roger Brooke Taney. And as we all know, you and I, students of history, uh, there is one major, major blemish on the decisions handed down by the Supreme Court, and it was this one here. It would ultimately be overturned years later by the ratification of the 13th, 14th, 15th amendments to the Constitution. And yet his bust there uh, remains, uh, having ruled against uh, Dred Scott. So I want to just quickly, before we get onto this conversation I'm so excited to have with uh, a Dred Scott expert, uh, I want to share with you some of the passion which took place yesterday on the floor. Here is uh, Steny Hoyer. Steny Hoyer is the majority leader in the House, and he, if I'm honest, he is known uh, for uh, very, very impassioned presentations on the floor of the House. If there is something uh, that gets him worked up, you will know about it because he will speak about it eloquently. Eloquently, and <laughs> it's kind of ironic I screwed up that word, huh? <laughs> you will speak eloquently and uh, w with fire. Regardless of your politics, uh, he puts on a convincing show. Here is Steny Hoyer just yesterday speaking on this issue. Defenders and purveyors of sedition, slavery, segregation and white supremacy have no place in this temple of liberty. As we work to ensure that black lives matter, some people dismiss that phrase, well, all lives matter. But what Dred Scott said was black lives did not matter. So when we assert that yes, they do matter, it is out of conviction and conscience and appropriateness that in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, that the land of the free include all of us. 
Welcome to the program now, Mark Shirtliff, former Attorney General here in the state of Utah, and also the author of a book titled Am I Not a Man? The Dred Scott Story. Quite literally authored the book on Dred Scott. Uh, sir, how are you? Welcome to the program. I'm good, Lee. Good to hear you, and uh, really enjoying your program. Congratulations. You're doing an outstanding job. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I'm honored that you join us and share some of your expertise today. Uh, before we get into your expertise, can we play a little Fantasy Congress for a second? You and I had occasion this morning to to share some texts back and forth. I, uh, you know, knowing that you, you know, have such a, a robust uh, and deep knowledge of uh, the Dred Scott case as well as the descendants of Dred Scott. Uh, I, I'm curious how you feel about the vote that was cast yesterday. Uh, well, I'm uh, I would have voted against the bill, and people say, well, yeah, you know, you're Republican, etc. Well, I, I'm. Uh, I, <laughs> I've moved quite left uh, of center since I left office, and I always felt myself in the center back in those days. And uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm frankly a, a, a supporter of, of uh, Black Lives Matter peaceful protests and so forth, and, and concerned with some of the issues that they're discussing. But on this one, I disagree, and it's mainly because of an experience that I had in that very uh, cloaking room with the bust of uh, Roger Taney is, and I stood there on the 105th anniversary of the decision with the great-great-granddaughter of Red Scott, who had become a dear friend of mine. And uh, what she said then and what she's doing now and since then is, I'll tell you what, a lesson in how we all ought to be acting right now in this country. And and she would disagree, I don't want to speak for her, but would disagree, I think, with uh, that oration that you displayed as Denny Hoyer talking about. Describe well, that experience you had. What, what, did, what did you and she discuss there standing before this bust? Well, let me give you a, a very quick background. So about 2002 as AG, I, I just I had, I can only give it up to God that I felt this inspiration to, you know, we'd studied the Scott decision. It was all a very legal decision about power of Congress over the uh, act of Congress and Supreme Court, et cetera. But I always wondered, well, so who was Dred Scott? How did the slave sue for his freedom? And I just felt inspired to start researching. And so whenever I was at a conference somewhere, where he may have been, whether it was in uh, down in Southern Virginia, I drive down from D.C. down to Southern Virginia, where he was born, and traveled the routes that he went on as his master took him back to St. Louis and ultimately up to Minnesota Territory, etc. I just wanted to know who he was, and I spent the next six years researching, reading everything I could, and, and visiting every place. And through all that, I got to meet his great-great-granddaughter, Lynn Jackson, who, who lives in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, became quite good friends, and, and I ultimately in 2007, which was the 150th anniversary, I convinced the National Association of Attorneys General, who we were meeting annually there, the fact they still meet annually there about that time, to do an hour and a half C-SPAN sponsored presentation and bring in Lynn Jackson, bring in uh, a representative from the NAACP, who was general counsel later, president of the NAACP, and Lynn, and uh, uh, an expert. Supreme Court expert Walter Dillinger, former Solicitor General, to talk about it. And after we did that that day, I said, Lynn had never been to to the courthouse, to the to the Supreme Court room in the Capitol where the decisions they made. So the two of us went up there. We they arranged for us to be in there alone, and we stood. <laughs> it's emotional. We stood in front of that that bust of of Roger Taney, and I said, Lynn, how do you feel? The things he said about your great-great-grandfather and African-Americans, that they were, that they had no rights that any white man had to respect and that they were property, etc. And she said, you know what, Mark? She's a very Christian woman. She said, I've forgiven him. 
She said he had his place. The decision was necessary because as I proposed and as Walter Dillinger agreed in, in, in the symposium was that if it hadn't been for a slave to fight for 10 years for freedom for him and his wife and little girls, this is never what happened. And the way it happened was is that it came out and, and Abraham Lincoln, this really unknown lawyer in Illinois, was so upset by that decision that he said, I got to do something about it. I mean, he's a lawyer, Supreme Court, so it's the law of the land. What are we going to do? And he decided to run for Senate at first against Stephen Douglas and then decided he needed to be president. So, but for Dred Scott, really, we, I don't, I, I believe very strongly, and other Supreme Court and historians agree that but for Dred Scott, Abraham Lincoln would not have been elected because it, he made it the hallmark of his of his debates with Stephen Douglas, which became quite famous, the House Divided speech, and then Cooper Union in New York, where he took an hour and a half or so to just destroy, you know, just talk the opinion and how it was wrong and propelled into the presidency. And, but her saying that, and that um, she said, she said, I just, I just want, you know, we need reconciliation and we need understanding. And these people have their place in history and we cannot forget them. We cannot hate them. Um, and we, we need to move forward. And, I said, well, is there, is there a statue of Dred Scott anywhere in this country? She said, no. And I said, well, let's do something about it. Uh, that was in March. By December, she'd formed the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation and started raising money. Two years later, she invited me to St. Louis, Missouri, where we dedicated uh, quite a large statue there on the steps of the Missouri, uh, old Missouri courthouse, you know, right under the arch, uh, to uh, Dred and Harriet Scott. And there's one word for what Lynn Jackson and her whole group of friends and supporters in the Dress Scott Heritage Foundation, and that is reconciliation. Uh, you can go to their website right now, the dreadscottfoundation.org. There's a there's a picture on the front. It was it, it, it's older. It was the 10th anniversary of uh, the forming of the uh, foundation. And guess whose pictures are highlighted? And they're still there today in this culture and this environment. Thomas Jefferson, Peter Blow, the master of Dred Scott, his owner. Dred Scott, Roger Taney, and Jefferson Davis. Why? Because she has brought together descendants of all those, and they meet yearly. They go on speaking tours. They've hugged. Uh, uh, Charlie Taney, uh, Justice Taney's descendant, uh, asked forgiveness, uh, apologized for the decision. But they always, what they're talking about is let's pull together. We need to reconcile. She said, she said at the time, I don't think his, his bus needs to be removed. Now, when we both heard that it was being planned to be removed, I got on the phone and said, hey, why not, why not put a Dred Scott's bus in there yeah. uh, in, in, uh, instead of uh, uh, Thurgood Marshall? And uh, we're going to be making some calls and see if that can change all the building path, obviously, as you described. So, yeah. you know, she showed up with her, with her supporters right after Ferguson riots. Why? They set up a prayer tent. She was with a descendant of MLK, and, and they, they talked with the police and with the protesters and with the legislators and the mayor about coming together. Let's stop all of this. Yeah. Um, she, one of the, two years ago, she did one of these reconciliation uh, meetings, and she had there the 90-plus-year-old daughter of the last, last surviving daughter of a Civil War veteran. And her father, who she was born when he was 82, he enlisted in the Confederacy at 16 years old. Hmm. And he fought for what he believed, mostly states' rights, and most of those, as we know, men, women, the men who died in the Confederacy, 
weren't weren't slave owners. They weren't fighting for slavery. I mean, they were there for a principle yeah. that they believed in. And so, um, what, however you feel on this issue, whatever position we're taking today, and it's just ripping us apart. I think Lynn Jackson is a beautiful example of we need to pull together. She said, "Got to have love of God in heart. There's yeah. no room for hatred. There's no room for division. It's time to pull Mark, together." Mark, I, I hate so to no, cut you off. I don't think it, I, it should have been removed. I need to go to a break now, but l- l- let's you and I connect after the program together and see about arranging a conversation here on this program with uh, Lynn Jackson and yourself and myself, oh, and we can learn even more of this. I'm sure she'd be delighted to join with you. Uh, sir, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and, uh, and what you've shared with us here today. All right. Keep up the good work. Bye. All right. Very good. Uh, I'm so sorry. We're late for a break here, but we're going to take that and come back and be joined by Representative John Curtis, who yesterday on the floor of the House uh, voted against this move to remove uh, some of these statues and the bust we've been discussing here on Live Mike. That's ahead on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. How about that conversation, huh? I want you to hear, if you missed it, let me tell you, we in the, just before the break there, we spoke uh, with Mark Shirtliff. You remember him as the former attorney general here in the state of Utah. Uh, But what you may not know is that he, for much of his career, has dedicated himself to the research uh, into the Dred Scott story. In fact, he authored a book called Am I Not a Man? The Dred Scott Story. And during the course of his research on that topic, he uh, struck up a relationship with the great-great-granddaughter of Dred Scott, Lynn Jackson. And he just told us a story of standing in the old Supreme Court chamber in front of the bust in question right now of Roger Taney, the chief justice who handed down the decision, uh, which essentially said uh, that uh, Dred Scott's life didn't matter and that he uh, was uh, less than. Well, ultimately, that uh, decision via amendment to the Constitution was overturned, and uh, years go by, and today uh, we are debating, and yesterday it was voted upon, uh, a piece of legislation in the House of Representatives to remove that bust and to remove along with it uh, a number of other statues throughout the U.S. Capitol uh, which depict those uh, supporters of the Confederacy. That Utah House delegation was split. Chris Stewart voted for the measure. Ben McAdams voted for the measure. Congressman Rob Bishop voted against. So, too, uh, did Representative John Curtis, who joins us on the line now. Representative, how are you, sir? Good, Lee. Good to talk to you. Time is tight, and I apologize for that. You made a statement yesterday characterizing the vote, uh, which took place on the floor uh, yesterday, as a knee-jerk removal of statues by mob rule. Uh, Why is that the case? Well, I I think if you look and see what's happened with some of these mobs, you'll see they've turned down statues or defaced statues, and they have no idea whose statue it even is or, or the reason. And I guarantee you that the vast majority of my colleagues couldn't even tell you the names of the statutes that were being removed. And, and to me, that just seemed a little knee-jerk. Um, why those? Why not others? Um, and what are our standards for removing statues? And, and until we determine what our statutes are, our standards are, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to just jump in and do it. Uh, what if those, those standards include um, those who own slaves? Okay, you're really going to go whitewashed George Washington off the dome. And um, so, I mean, those are the questions that I want answered before we just jump in and start with the statues. Do, do your concerns with this vote stem more so from procedure than the, than the actual issue at hand? Uh, let's say, 
let's say that, that these statues remained and uh, people found offense by their Confederate association. Uh, is, it more, is it more a procedural issue that you take with this, or, or are you a supporter of, of leaving them in place, understanding that history uh, is something which can often be and is often uh, peppered with warts and blemishes and such like that? Well, I think it's far more complicated than that. I, I see these statues on a continuum. And so let's suppose somebody was simply enlisted in the Confederate Army. Army. Um, that's very different than a, than a general who, who strategized to tear apart from the United States and fight the United States simply on the basis of uh, maintaining slavery. And that's why it's, it's difficult for me to give you just one set answer of, okay, yeah. that's why I'm saying, well, let's, let's decide what our standard is. And um, I, I'm not comfortable with people who have promoted slavery being honored and, and put forward as, as role models any more than anyone else. Uh, but I, I would like it to be just a little bit more thoughtful uh, than what we've done so far. Help me with my understanding of procedure, and I apologize for this. I'm not, uh, I, you know, I worked there as a staffer for a long time, but we, we never faced an issue of removing statues uh, via legislation. This still needs to appear before the Senate, correct? Correct, right. So and that's another thing is everybody knows what we did yesterday was very symbolic. Now, I'm not opposed to symbolism, particularly when it comes to speaking out against slavery. I think there's a place for symbolism. Um, and, I, and I would want to be the first that spoke out against any, um, anything that seemed to condone uh, slavery or, or anything related to it. But you're correct. This is without a vote in the Senate. And Mitch McConnell has said there will not be a vote. Uh, this, this is a dead issue. Yeah. Well, sir, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for explaining this all. Thank you for your position on this and, uh, and working for the good people of Utah. Uh, I wish you the Thanks. very best. Look forward to crossing paths with you again. All right, Lee. Have a good afternoon. All righty. Uh, so in a moment here, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to shift gears. I want to share with you a, a fascinating new podcast, which will be available uh, through kslnewsradio.com and wherever you get your podcast. There are going to be a, a pair of dads joining me in just a moment. Uh, but before we move on to that, 57500, that's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, for the past hour or so, you and I have been discussing a very, a very uh, important topic. Whether or not a handful of statues ought to be removed from the U.S. Capitol. It was voted upon by the House of Representatives yesterday. As you have heard the various sides of this issue, what do you think? Let me know. 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Next up after the break, Casey Scott and Tom Hackett, the hosts of a new podcast called Dadtastic, ahead here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.